0: Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled Grace and Faith. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen.
1: So what I want to do today is contrast grace and faith and show how that you have to operate in both of them to be able to receive from God. You cannot pick and choose one or the other and this is one of the mistakes that people make. Here in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 8 it says for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Familiar passage of Scripture. And from this, man, I've heard it preached all my life. I was brought up a Baptist said, I believe in salvation by grace. Amen? You know, that's not scriptural. The Scripture didn't say that you're saved by grace. Amen? You know, you've got to read and understand what you read. It says you save by grace through faith. It's a combination of grace and faith. It's not one or the other, but it's the combination of the two together. Now, to be totally honest, if you back up to the fifth verse, the very last part of the fifth verse in parentheses, it says, by grace ye are saved. Don't get so nitpicking over terminology that if somebody says, I believe in salvation by grace, that you jump down their throat and say you aren't saved if you believe... I mean, the Scripture right here says you're saved by grace, but technically speaking, if you take it in context, you're saved by grace through faith, not by one or the other. And people have a big tendency to take truths from God's Word, and because God shows them something, they, take, they have a tendency to take that truth and focus on it to the exclusion of other truths in the Word of God. And that's how you get into error. Did you know error is simply nothing but truth taken to an extreme or taken to the exclusion of other truths in God's Word? No truth from God's Word stands independent of another truth. You can take teaching on faith, and as much as I believe in faith, you know, and the Bible says whatsoever is not a faith is sin, so I'm not going to preach sin. I believe in faith. But if all you do is focus on faith and preach faith and preach faith and preach faith, you'll get into error because the Bible says faith works by love. If you don't have love as the foundation of faith, you get people that go out here and they're doing all of the right things, but they don't know anything about the love of God, and they're into error. Faith without love is not faith at all. And on the other hand, faith without grace is not faith at all. And grace without faith is not grace. I mean, you cannot just pick and choose what you want from God's Word and emphasize it to the exclusion of other things. You've got to be able to bring the truths of God's Word into harmony with other truths from God's Word. So anyway, yes, I believe in faith, and yes, I believe in grace, but did you know either one will kill you if you take them by themselves and just focus on that exclusively? You know, sodium and chloride are both poisonous. If you eat sodium, did you know sodium in a sufficient quantity will kill you? Did you know that chloride in sufficient quantities will kill you? They're both poisonous. And yet, if you mix them together, you get sodium chloride, which is table salt, and you can't live without it. You've got to have it, but you've got to have it in combination. If you take either one in the... If you took the same amount of sodium chloride as you take in normal salt intake, and if you took that amount separate without combining them, it'd kill you. But you combine them, put them together, and it's something that you can't live without. Well, let see, it's the same thing. Grace is important, but, you know, if you focus on grace to the exclusion of faith, did you know you'd get in a ditch? <laughs> Amen. Out where I live, we have ditches on the, on the sides of our road. We don't have paved roads in our town. And so we have bar ditches is what we call them over on the side. And, you know, in an, if, you, if you're going off in one ditch, you have a tendency to pull the wheel real strong and get out of that ditch. And if you aren't careful, you'll hit the other ditch. There's a ditch on both sides of the road. And this is what happens lots of time, Man, we come out of bondage and we find out about the grace of the Lord and grace start ministering to us so much that, man, we forget everything else and focus totally on grace to the extent that we hit the ditch on the other side of the road. The best way is to go right down the middle and avoid the ditches. Amen. And so we've got to balance things out. You cannot choose either grace or faith. And it's wrong to say, I believe I'm saved by faith. Well, you aren't saved by faith. You're saved by grace through faith. And it's wrong to say, I believe I'm saved by grace because you aren't saved just by grace. You're saved by grace through faith. You have to have the combination of the two. Now, we're going to have to define what grace and faith are here. And if you'll get this, this will really help you. And then we're going to apply this and show you how that it's grace and faith that brings the power of God into manifestation in your life. And you've got to understand both and you've got to balance them out properly. Now, God's grace, you could come up with a thousand definitions for this. Everybody's got their own definition, all right. But just for, I mean, the most common fundamental definition of grace, it's uh, just unmerited favor is what the Greek literally means it's simply what god has done for us independent of what we have done or what we deserve grace is something that god chooses to give us and it's not based on our performance god's grace is something that he commended toward us in the while we were yet sinners christ died for us jesus died for us before we had ever done anything for him that's grace all right grace is not performance oriented grace is not conditional it's unconditional unearned, unmerited favor of God. Everybody follow that? And God's grace is the same to everyone because it's not based on their actions. So that means that regardless of how good you are, you don't get more grace, or how bad you are, you don't get less grace. Grace is something totally dependent upon the nature and the character of God. It is not dependent upon you and your actions. Everybody get that? Grace is totally something God chose to give us independent of what we deserve. Let's turn over here to Titus chapter 2. Titus is right before Philemon and Hebrews, page 174. And Titus chapter 2 in verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And then the sentence continues on. But God's grace has appeared to all men. God's grace has come unto every person that ever lived on the face of the earth. And this is literally talking about the grace that brings salvation. God's grace that brings salvation. The grace that God expressed through Jesus, sending a Savior to the world. What Jesus died for for the sins of the world, it was extended towards every person. Did you know when Jesus died, he didn't only die for the people who he foreknew through his foreknowledge would accept him, but Jesus died for the sins of the entire world. It says that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. It says it in many other places in Scripture. But Jesus died for the sins of everybody. Do you know Hitler's sins were paid for just as much as my Amen. sins were paid for? Amen. That was grace. It wasn't based on a person's uh, action or reaction to God. God made an atonement for every person's sins on the face of the earth, and he extended it towards everybody. There's nobody that is beyond the grace of God. God's grace has appeared unto all men, is what the Scripture says. But does that mean that all men are saved? No, No, because grace alone doesn't save. See, if what God did for us alone, if grace alone saved, if it was just up to God to move in our life, then everybody would be saved because the Scripture says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God's grace is consistent always, irregardless of your actions. God's grace has come unto every person on the face of the earth, but... Grace alone does not release the power of God. It has to be mixed with faith. And faith is our response. Faith is our part. Grace is what God does. Faith is what we do. And see, it's not just up to God. Now, if you're listening, this will really answer a lot of things for you because people are always saying, you know, why does God do this? Why did God do that? How come God doesn't do this? They don't understand that for the power of God to be manifest in a person's life, it's not just up to God to move. There has to be a response on our part to what God has done. For instance, salvation. God has extended salvation towards every person that ever lived on the face of the earth, but not every person has received it because not everybody responds in a positive way to what God has done. So therefore, is it God that's sending people to hell? No, people actually are sending themselves to hell. Jesus Has Jesus prepared hell for the devil and his angels? He didn't intend for people to go there. But people are going there because they submitted themselves to Satan. So Jesus came and made a provision and extended salvation a way out to every person. And if a person goes to hell, they are going to have to deny what Jesus did for them. They are going to have to reject God's grace. I mean, God by grace made a provision for everybody. But see, not everybody's receiving it because not everybody responds in mixed faith with what God does. So this is important. More, I've heard some people teach on grace to such an extent that they say, Brother, you can't do anything. You can't make God do this. You have nothing to do with the power of God. I heard a man one time, that we were talking about a little girl that needed to be healed, and he was a Baptist pastor, and he said, Look, if God wants to heal her, she's going to be healed whether you or I pray for her or not. We have nothing to do with God's power in this earth. It's totally God's grace some degree or another, every last one of us have been exposed to that where we just have this teaching that it's just totally up to God, God moves in our life, God d- discerns what happens in your life, and that is not true. That is not the truth. Have you all ever heard doctrines on the sovereignty of God? Well the word sovereignty literally means independent. If you look it up in a dictionary, that's what the word sovereign means. The United States is a sovereign nation. That means we broke away from Great Britain, we are independent. And Great Britain can't tell us what to do. We are independent. So when people are saying sovereignty, you've got this word sovereign, he not even used in the Bible, all right. But in the, in the proper way, God is sovereign. He is independent. Nobody tells God what to do. Nobody tells God uh, how he's supposed to act, etc. But sovereign does not mean that he has no restrictions, no controls. We're a sovereign nation. All that means is Great Britain doesn't set our laws, but does that mean that we're a lawless nation and that you never know what we're going to do because we're sovereign? Well, see, that's what people say about God. God's sovereign. You never know what God's going to do. You can't put God in a box. Well, you may not put him in a box, but you can sure conform him to the word of God. He'll never violate the word of God. And I guarantee you, he's limited himself by his word. When God said, This is what I will do, and this is what you are supposed to do, God just limited Himself. He will not overstep the bounds. He will not enter in and do the things that He commanded you to do. He told you to resist the devil, and He'll flee from you. If you don't resist the devil, then guess what? God can't. Now, a lot of people don't like that word, God can't, but you can say God won't. It's the same difference. God is not going to resist the devil for you. I mean, the devil will run smooth over you and kill you if you sit there and say, God, do something, and God, I'm just depending on your grace. Well, it's not up to God's grace to rebuke the devil. God, by grace, has already provided salvation for you, has bought you authority over the devil, and if you don't stand up and mix faith and begin to respond in a positive way to God's grace, I guarantee you, you'll die, and the devil will run smooth over you, and it's not God who let it, it's you who let Satan run over you. So the point that I'm saying is you can get into a ditch talking about God's grace. Did you know there's, there's uh, denominations that are formed believing that salvation is by grace? And there's a Baptist denomination. I can't, it's primitive Baptist or something like that. I may not have got the exact one. But anyway, they believe that you're predestined to be saved or predestined to be damned, that you have no control over whether you're born again or not. That it's just totally up to God and uh, it doesn't do any good to witness to people. If God's ordained this person to be saved, they're going to get saved regardless of what anybody does. So they are not evangelistic. They don't share the word and they just trust. And they, they use scriptures about, you know, God foreknew those and etc. And there are scriptures that tend to say things like that. But again, see, you can't take certain scriptures and forget other scriptures. Like, for instance, First uh, Peter 3, 9 says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That shows you God's will. And yet we know that more people are entering in by the broad gate unto destruction than by the narrow gate unto everlasting life. So God's will does not automatically come to pass. Why? Because God, by his grace, provided salvation for everybody. The will is there for everybody to be saved, but not everybody's going to put faith in what God has done. And so, therefore, God's will doesn't come to pass. He he delegated some things to us. You can mess up God's plan for your life. Some of you say, God, why is my marriage falling apart? Why have you done this to me? God's will is for your marriage to prosper. God ordained that it prosper. If your marriage is falling apart, you did it. Amen? Amen. You allowed the devil to come in and destroy your marriage. If you're sick, don't say, oh, God, why did you bring this sickness on me? Why did you allow sickness God didn't allow sickness. You allowed sickness. God provided by grace healing for every person that's ever walked on the face of the earth. He's provided healing for everything that you ever need. And if you're sick today, it's not God who made you sick. It's you who allowed yourself to be sick, either through rebellion, through ignorance, or through a lot of different things. You may not be, I'm not pointing a finger at you, but I'm saying, look, God's not the one that did it to you. Amen. Boy, we can sure mess up the things of God. But anyway, this denomination, seed doesn't even preach to people because they believe, well, it's just totally by grace. If you're going to be saved, you can't save yourself, so it's just up to God. God will save you if you're predestined to be saved and you'll be damned if you're predestined to be damned. As a result, I've got a brother-in-law who his grandfather was married to a woman who was one of these primitive Baptists and she never shared the gospel with him because he was either predestined to be saved or predestined to be damned. She figured he was predestined to be damned. So she just never shared anything with him. The man was 70-something years old, and my brother-in-law shared with him just the simple truth about salvation. And this man just began to cry and says, I've never heard that. You mean I can choose to be saved? I can be born again? And he said, yes. And he's got 70-something years old, got born again, no thanks to his wife and her doctrine, but thanks to a man who was able to share with him, see, and recognize that we have a choice in the thing. Grace has provided salvation, healing, deliverance, prosperity. God's already done everything for us by grace, but faith is the way that we receive it. Another example is when I was uh, in Bible, uh, vacation Bible school when I was a little kid, I was about six or seven years old. We had 600 kids in this church vacation Bible school and I was sitting on the back row and the pastor stood up and he had a dollar bill in his hand. And he said, I'll give this dollar bill to the first boy, I mean, first child that comes up here and takes it. And boy, I thought to myself, boy, what a bummer of all days to be sitting on the back row. <laughs> and I mean, there were 600 kids. And instantly there was about 30 or 40 people just like that, you know, and they were standing there and all of these kids were, I'll take it, I'll take it, I want it. And all of them were standing there and jumping. And anyway, he just stood there with this dollar bill in his hand. And he just kept holding it up. And you know, you thought, well, what's the matter? All of these kids are up there, they want this dollar bill. He said he'd give it to the first one. He just kept saying, I'll give this dollar bill to the first one that'll come up here and take it. And all these kids were saying, I'll take it. And they were yelling, and he just kept repeating it. And finally, you know, you figured that he was trying to make a point, and what was he trying to say? And it dawned on me what he was saying. And I mean, I was on the back row, but boy, I mean, I cut out of there, I ran down the (laughs) aisle, I pushed through all of those kids. And I got up there and I grabbed his arm like this and I climbed right up his side and reached up there and grabbed that dollar bill. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't have to do anything for that dollar bill. It was a gift, but yet he didn't take it and put it in my hand. He stood there and I had to come reach out and take it, see? Now, that's an example of grace. By grace, it wasn't something I had to earn. It was a gift, but I had to come get it. It's like somebody says, I've got a $1,000 for you and it's right back here on this back seat. You didn't earn it, but you got to go get it. Grace provided it. You didn't, it wasn't payment for something that you did, but yet you have to do something to be able to go and receive it. That's an example, see, of grace and faith in combination. So we've talked about God's grace. What's faith? And boy, now this is something I want to zero in on. Most people think faith is something I do to gain a response from God. If I'll do this, for instance, if I'll confess the word of God, then God will respond and give me what I need. If I'll pray, God will respond to my prayer and give me what I need. If I'll uh, pay my tithes, then God will respond to me and give me this. Most people think faith are acts that they do to gain a response from God, and that is incorrect, that is not faith, it's close to paganism. It's the exact same way that pagans operate. Pagans sit there and say, well, I took an oath of poverty, I shaved my head, I fasted, I did this, I did that. Now God's going to hear my prayer and God's going to move in my life. Did you know that's the way unbelievers operate? And that's the way most spirit-filled people operate and it is not godly at all. And that is precisely the reason that we haven't gotten anything from God. When you pray and say, Oh, God, i fasted, I've prayed, I've done all of these things, look what I've done, why don't you do something? And it just sounds like, you know, a busy signal on the other end. It's a dial tone, there's nothing.
0: That's
1: mercy that you're hearing nothing because if God answered your prayer and gave you what you deserved, you'd go to hell. It's mercy that God has been saying nothing to you. Because you've been saying in effect, God give me justice man, you don't need justice. You know, I used to develop pictures in a photography studio and we used to have this joke, these women had come in. It's always women. Women are you know, tend to be a lot more vain than men, as a general rule. So anyway, these women had come into our photography studio and we'd show them their pictures, you know, and they'd say, Oh, this picture it's just terrible, you know, and they'd begin to start running it down. And so, you know, if you tried to take the picture from them, say, all right, I agree, it's terrible. It's, you know, they say, oh, no, no. You know, really, they didn't think it's that bad. But they, it's a backhanded way of getting a compliment. You knock yourself down. They want you to come along and say, lady, you really look good. It's a good picture, you know. So anyway, these, these women would come in and say, oh, this picture doesn't do me justice. And we had this joke. I never was bold enough to pull it, but I wanted to.
0: <laughs>
1: but we always, you know, would kid and say, lady, you don't need justice, you need mercy. <laughs> and in effect, see, there's a lot of us that say, God, this isn't fair, you aren't giving me justice. You don't need justice, you need mercy. Amen. If you got what you deserve, you go to hell. Even a spirit-filled Christian, did you know the Bible definition of sin is different than most of our definition of sin? In James chapter 4, it says, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Sin is not only things you've done that are wrong, but what is it that God has spoken to you about and revealed to you that you should be doing that you aren't doing? Has God talked to you about loving your wife, loving your husband more, treating your children better? Has God talked to you about loving your brother better? Has God talked to you about having private devotions with him? Has God talked to you about loving people and being more sensitive, hearing the voice of God, and on and on? And if God's ever spoken to you about any of those things, and if you aren't fulfilling it, guess what? You're living in sin. Amen or oh me. me. Sin is not only the things you've done that are wrong. Sin is the things you know to do good and you don't do it to you. It's sin. If you use the Bible definition of sin, man, we don't deserve anything from God based on our merit. The biggest sin, the worst sin of every sin is the sin of thinking that you can deserve the blessings of God. You cannot earn anything from God based on your goodness and your righteousness. That is the greatest sin of all. And did you know faith people are some of the worst people at thinking they deserve something? I can prove that to you because I, for one thing, I've done it. I've had people come up to me and say, Brother, I've been fasting and praying. What does God want? Well, you just showed me where your problem is. You're putting faith in what you've done, not faith in God's grace. Faith is not something you do to gain a response from God. Here's my definition of faith. And, of course, you could apply, you know, many different definitions, but in the context of what we're talking about, faith is your positive response to God's grace or faith is your positive response to what God has already done, independent of your effort. See, the reason I confess the Word of God is not because I'm trying to get God to heal me. I confess that by his stripes I'm healed because I believe that it's true that by his stripes I'm healed. And so I'm simply responding to it in faith and speaking what I really believe. I am not making God heal me by confessing it. I'm simply confessing what I believe God really did. But if you'd be honest, most people have this concept that God has done nothing until I do this, and when I do this, then God is going to respond and give me my healing. If I'll just pray, if I'll do this, if I'll do that, then God will move in my life. That is not faith at all. See, faith, if it's not put in something that God has already done, totally independent of you then it's not true Bible faith. It's an attitude of law. It's an attitude of works. It's an attitude thinking that you're going to do something to move God. Most people use faith like they would a pry bar on God. They put it under God. God, I'm going to confess 599 times and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that until, bless God, you do something. And we use faith to twist God's arm and through faith, Many of us have heard people say things like this, that through faith we're going to storm the gates of heaven and we aren't going to quit until we receive what we want from God. Brothers and sisters, that's the height of arrogancy to think that with faith or with anything else you're going to go in and make God do anything. You can't make God do anything. You know an attitude that is prevalent today is in revival. Most intercessors, boy, I better watch how I say this, I believe in intercession, but most intercessors aren't interceding at all. I can show you four churches of friends of mine that were split through an intercessory prayer group. Four churches split through intercession. Intercession is one of the most dangerous areas in the church today. Now, I believe in intercession, and I'm for it. But it's, again, intercessors basically have no restraints on them whatsoever. You just intercede and do it however you want to. You get up and do whatever you want. There's basically no restraints on intercessors because, man, they're in the Spirit and they get very offended. Most intercessors are very proud people because, man, they have grabbed hold of God and they're the ones that's making the church work. They're the one that's making God do all of these things. They're the one that's keeping everything in line. And, man, intercessors are very proud people. They go around humble like this, but, man... On the inside, they're standing, you know, it's like these people that go around and say, well, y'all pray for me while I try and sing. I don't have a very good voice, but I just do the best I can. God said, make a joyful noise. They appear very humble, but it's all a come on. If you walk up to them during the week in the supermarket and say, you know what? You really were right. you got the lousiest voice I think I ever heard. Try that sometime and see how humble they are in the supermarket. Man, they'll get offended and slap you. It's all a come on. They didn't mean that. And there's a lot of intercessors, oh, we're just nothing. It's all the Lord. But inside, they're going around telling people that, man, you can grab hold of God and you can make God do things through intercession. Intercession can't make God do anything. You don't change God's mind. You don't motivate God. You don't move God through intercession. Faith doesn't move God. Did you know that? If God hasn't already moved by grace, your faith can't get it. Faith doesn't make God do things. All faith does is appropriate what God has already provided by his own free will, totally independent of what you've done and deserve. Faith is just a vehicle from receiving something that God has already provided by grace. If God hasn't provided it by grace, you can't get it by faith. That's the reason that you can't take faith and go out and plan the perfect bank robbery. Say, well, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that I can ro- uh, steal a million dollars, that nobody will catch me. It's going to be the perfect bank robbery, I, and you can use the principles of faith and make it work. See, it won't work that way because God didn't provide for you by grace the ability to be a thief. Amen. So faith can't make thievery work in your life. That's the reason you can't take Mark eleven twenty four, which I've heard hundreds of people do, and confess that person's going to be my mate. I confess it with my mouth. I believe that I receive when I pray. They're going to be my mate. I know a woman that claimed Kenneth Copeland as her mate and, and uh, damn Gloria Copeland commanded her to die and get out of the way because she was blocking God's perfect will and based it on Mark eleven twenty four. That's never going to work. See, faith can't make that happen because God didn't provide you with the ability to murder and commit adultery by grace. It wasn't a part of what Jesus purchased and so she's spitting in the, in the wind. It's just not going to work, amen? Because, see, faith can't make something that God hadn't provided come to pass. You can't make God do things with faith. Faith doesn't move God. Faith doesn't make God do anything. All faith does is just receive what God's already provided. And when you understand this concept, it takes all the struggle out of faith. See, most people, when they start talking faith, actually aren't in faith at all. They're in works. They're over here saying, Bless God, I know now how to make God do this. And so they get over there. And all they're doing is a work of the flesh. It's not God at all. They're over there doing these things, confessing the Word, speaking this, doing this, doing this, thinking they're going to move God. And man, they wind up getting frustrated and they wind up giving up and quitting. But God's kind of faith is really a simple thing. I mean, it's just real simple. You get so single on what God has provided for you by grace, and you know that it's grace. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You know it's not based on your performance. God isn't looking at you and say, You haven't done enough. Confess more. Confess 500 more times, and you'll get it. Do this, and you'll get it. Do that, and you'll get it. Man, you're up there just... You know that God has just freely given it to you by grace, and so you put faith in what God has done, and you say, Father, I just thank you that by the stripes of Jesus, I have been healed. And you don't confess to make God do something. You confess because you really believe God did it. So you just speak forth your faith. Isn't that simple? When it comes to praying for revival, see, I, when I first got turned on to the Lord, I started praying for revival. I read about the New Haberdes revival, about the Welch revival, the Moravian revival, the American Indian revival. and I studied revival, and I mean every time. It seemed like there was a group of people that laid hold of God and grabbed hold of God and brought revival into being. When you hear most people talk about revival, they'll emphasize prayer and that, man, you just pray heaven down. They'll use scriptures such as, Rend the heavens, O God, and come down, etc., etc., etc. And anyway, through this, I developed an attitude that you may not verbalize it this way, but I, I'm just verbalizing this. This is the way most people think of a revival that God got so put out with the human race and how sorry and how rotten we were that he was grieved and so God withdrew his spirit of revival from the earth, has retained it unto himself, folded his arms and turned his back on us because, man, we are so ungodly God can't stand to deal with us. And so the intercessor comes along and is in the position of saying, Oh, God, have mercy on us. Oh, God, please turn around. Oh, God, please pour out your spirit again. And God's saying, upon a bunch of jerks like you, you got to be kidding. And so you just keep interceding. But oh, please, God, I'm humbling myself. And he says, well... I'm not sure, oh, please, God, and you're changing God's attitude and you're getting God to turn back around and finally God's saying, well, if you don't let me alone, I'll have to do it. And you just keep interceding and finally you wring it out of God. I mean, God is so upset, he's really willing to let the world die and go to hell. But if it wasn't for us who have so much compassion and love, nothing would get done. I mean, if it wasn't for us great intercessors that were able to turn God, Indianapolis would go to hell because God doesn't care a rip about Indianapolis. If it wasn't for the great intercessors, God had just passed Indianapolis on by, right? That's the attitude most people have. They are grabbing hold of God, going in and grabbing hold of the horns of the altar and shaking it until God comes out, amen? I'm going to grab hold of God and not let go until God pours out his blessing. I want you to know, You can't make God do anything, and you aren't more concerned about people than God is. You do not want to see Indianapolis turned on to the Lord more than God does. You don't have to get God turned on to people. You don't have to get God prayed into conviction and compassion for people. You don't have to get God convicted over the way that he's let the world go and that he's not doing anything in this city. We aren't trying to turn God around. Oh, it's quiet in this Presbyterian church.
0: <laughs>
1: well, if you all to be honest, every last one of us at some time or another have had that attitude that, bless God, I don't know why God isn't doing this, but I'm going to, through faith, grab hold of God and not let go of God until God gives me what I want. You know what you're going to do? You're going to wind up frustrated. You're going to wind up thinking, God, what's wrong? Because I guarantee you, you aren't going to outlast God. It's rough to go in and argue and fight with God. I mean, it's rough to have the responsibility of having to turn God. It's hard. I've tried it. When I first got turned on to the revival, like I said, man, I organized all night prayer meetings, and this is in the Baptist church, before I'd received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues. Did you know you can pray for the whole world and every dog in the world in an hour when you don't have the (laughs) baptism of the Holy Ghost? These all-night prayer meetings, the longest they ever lasted. It was 1130. Everybody else had already left, and I was still there by myself. I mean, I was frustrated. We were going to pray revival in. But you know, the truth is, God poured out the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost upon all flesh. And he said, not only this flesh, but he says that this promise is unto you and unto your children, and unto them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. God's will is for a revival to be hidden. Every person on the face of the earth. By grace, he's already provided it. God's grace is upon this world. We're living in a ministration, a dispensation of grace. God has poured out his Spirit upon anybody that will receive him. The position of the New Testament intercessor is not to grab hold of God. But rather, the New Testament intercessor is supposed to stand there and say, Father, thank you. I know that, man, you've already poured your spirit out the promises unto us and unto our children and unto them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. But Satan is standing against this. Man, Satan, religion, tradition is binding people today. People's eyes are blind. The New Testament intercessor is not fighting with God and wrestling with God and wringing something from God. The New Testament intercessor is standing and putting faith in God's grace. And you're standing there and you are binding up the demonic spirits that are holding up people and we're doing spiritual warfare with demons and we aren't even having to ask God for anything. All you're doing is just finding out what the mind of God is and commanding the devil to get off of it and let God's will come to pass. And you don't have to beg, ball, squall, and plead with God to get anything done. Not a thing. Amen? And see, that makes, inter- that makes New Testament intercession exciting. That makes it fun because, man, you're in there. New Testament intercession doesn't have to be bawling and squalling and groaning and, and uh, all of these kind of things. Man, it can be fun. Going in and just executing upon the devil the judgment that's already been written. Man, going in and praising God. Praise is a powerful form of intercession. I got a tape entitled, New Testament Attitude of Intercession. Man, if you've never heard this, you ought to get it. You know, in Exodus chapter 32, I haven't got time to go into this, but I'll just say enough just to get you convinced you need this tape. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses told God to repent. He said, Repent, O God, from thy fierce wrath. That's bold. But what's even worse is in verse 14, God repented. God repented from what he was thinking to do. Moses actually changed God. And people use scriptures like that, Sodom and Gomorrah and other things as examples of how New Testament intercessors turned God from his fierce wrath. But did you know in the New Testament, if Moses was telling God to repent, he'd be rebuked. There's a difference between the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. Jesus was an intercessor that ended all of that type of intercession. Jesus pacified the wrath of God. Jesus bore the punishment of the wrath of God, and if you're in there trying to become Jesus and become the Savior, you're out of line. You don't do what Jesus did. You let Jesus do that form of intercession, and all you do is receive by faith and put faith in what Jesus has already purchased for us. Man, that's powerful. So faith is not something we do to manipulate God and to make God do something. Faith is simply... Us responding in a positive instead of a negative way to what God has done. And when you begin to understand that, see, it makes everything in the Christian life totally different. I don't fast to get God to move. Most people use fasting as a last resort on God. Most people will pray, they'll confess, they'll study the Word, they'll get agreement from somebody else, and if everything else fails... They'll say, bless God, I'm going to go on a fast and I'm not going to come off of this thing until I receive from God. You know what they're thinking is that God, I don't know why you haven't been disposed to give me what I need yet. I've I've done this, I've done that, I've done this. You hadn't responded to anything I've done yet. So I'm going to go on a fast. And without saying it, what they're saying is when I begin to get pitiful, when I'm starving, oh, when my when I'm just, I mean, in a pitiful situation, God, I know that you're going to be moved with compassion. And you're going to look at me and see me wasting away nearly dead on my last leg. And I don't care how bad you are, how mad you are, how whatever you are, I know that's going to turn you. Now, you may not praise it in that way. I'm overstating the thing, but if you'd be honest, most people fast to play on God's mercy and pity because he's going to look at you and see how serious you are and how terrible you look and how bad you feel, and he's going to be moved with compassion. And if God won't get it because of your confession, because of your Bible study or nothing else, you're going to play on his mercy and pity. Same thing a kid does with their parents. You know, they'll go in and ask for something to their parents. Doesn't give it to them, they'll start bawling squalling and looking pitiful and many times a parent will give in. So that's what we do with our Father. We go in and through fasting, we're going to just play on it until we just bring him to his knees through sorrow and mercy for us. Get him to do it. Amen or oh me? Well, y'all look sanctified and holy, like you've never done any of these things. So the real purpose of fasting, it, you know fasting doesn't impress God. Did you know fasting doesn't give you any extra leeway with God? It doesn't earn you a brownie point, a star on your chart. Most people see, actually think of all the things they're doing. It's similar to getting a reward. You get so many stars, points, for every time you do something good. And when you get enough points, you can cash them in for an answered prayer. You've got to move in my life. And fasting gets you lots of points in a hurry. I want you to know God doesn't give you any extra points for fasting. God doesn't give you any brownie points for fasting. God is not moved by fasting. Fasting affects God zip, zero. Fasting doesn't do anything for God. If Jesus and faith in the name of Jesus won't get it, fasting won't get it either. Fasting does not do one single thing to earn you any blessings of God. So why do it? Because fasting changes you. It doesn't change God. The purpose of fasting, and I could, I've got a tape on this entitled Fasting and what the real purpose of fasting is, how you fast, different types of fast, etc., it will really be a blessing to you. Also, I've got a tape entitled Hardness of Heart Part 3 that will deal with this exact subject that would really help you on this. But the real purpose of fasting is that when you are having problems and you've prayed, you've already released your faith, you've done everything that you know to do and you haven't seen results yet, then the problem isn't that God hasn't responded. God, by grace, has already provided the thing for you, but there's something that Satan is using that blocks you from receiving what God has already provided by grace. And most of the time, the things that Satan uses are within us. Fear, doubt, unbelief, discouragement, negative things that counteract our faith. So how do you deal with these negative things that are on the inside of you? Fasting will deal with the negative things on the inside of you. When you fast, I guarantee you, it will put a spotlight on the carnal things that are on the inside of you. Fasting affects probably the greatest lust of the flesh that we have, which is a lust for food. I mean, our desire for food is a strong desire. People have killed over it. I mean, people will murder over food. It's a very, very strong desire. It's one of the strongest lusts of the flesh. So if your flesh is dominating you in some area, if you go on a fast, that area of your flesh will come to the surface and begin to rebel because you're starving it. You're denying it. And I guarantee you, your flesh will become evident in a hurry and you'll be able to deal with it and get rid of it. See, this is one where most people when they fast, they hear somebody give a testimony about, I went on a 21-day fast. And during this 21-day fast, I saw three angels. I had five visions. God spoke to me in an audible voice, and I got direction for the next 10 years. God told me what I was supposed to do. So, man, somebody says, Hey, I like that. I think I'm going to go on a 21 day fast. And by noon, the first day, all they've got is a headache. They're tired. They're all of a sudden irritable, and they begin to feel carnal. And I mean, they, somebody comes along, and they go to snapping at them. And, and first thing they know, they say, Man, this isn't what I was expecting. This is not the 700 Club. This isn't PTL. This isn't what I wanted. I think I was better off before I fasted. At least I wasn't mad and grippy and irritable and says, I'm going to quit this fast. You know, it's right when you get upset, when you get irritable. Man, when you're bummed out, when you're discouraged, when you're depressed, that's when a fast is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. There's one out of 10,000 fasts that you'll see three angels, five visions, and get all of that kind of stuff, and very seldom does that happen. It's never happened to me, and I don't care if it ever does. That's not the real purpose of a fast. Amen. The real purpose of a fast is to deal with your flesh. And when you go to fasting, if, you, if your flesh is not brought into subjection, if it isn't responding to God, if it hasn't been put under, and if the Word of God isn't dominating you, your flesh is going to rebel, you're going to get grippy, you're going to get irritable. Every carnal reaction, emotion in you is going to rise to the surface. And when it does, it'll show you why you haven't been able to see because you got strife in your heart you got envy and jealousy etc and you'll have to start dealing with them. and these things see they can't they can't reside in you unless you feed them now, i'm not talking about physical food i'm talking about unless you give attention to them and allow them indulge them and so when you fast a fast is not only a fast from food but a fast is a fast from your daily lifestyle and everything you're just focusing all of your attention on god and what happens is these carnal areas will begin to cry out. I want, I want more jealousy. I want to meditate on how bad this person has treated me. And you say, no, I'm seeking God. Man, I'm putting all of my attention on God. Those things will begin to starve in you. They'll begin to gripe and complain. Your body will begin to say, give me some food. And say, body, we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And your body says, oh, yeah, I'm, I want something to eat, and I want it right now. And so if you continue on the fast... You tell your body, Look, body, you are not going to rule me, but my spirit man is going to rule. We're going to live through the spiritual strength instead of natural strength for the next few days. And your body will say, No, I'm going to eat something. Say, Look, I'll go an extra day if you don't like it. An extra day, I'll die. I'll starve to death. All right, two extra days. No, not two days. Three extra days. And you know, pretty soon that body will get quiet. (laughs) That body will go to listening to you, and that body will go to submitting, and pretty soon you'll find out this old griping, is complaining, the envy, the jealousy, all of these carnal things will recognize that, man, I, I can't live. And they'll begin to fall by. You're pointing to what you have done and saying, God, look what I have done. Now you do something. You're out of grace. You're into works. You're trying to make God do something. And I guarantee you, you are not going to win if you approach God on that basis. God is not going to come down and serve you. God is not going to bow to your demands. You aren't going to make God do anything. God, by grace, has already freely given us everything. The Bible says that he's already, by grace, healed us. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, By his stripes we were healed. It's already done. Did you know Jesus doesn't heal people today? It's already been done. Amen. People are already healed. God's healed every person that will ever get healed. You right. can't do anything to make God heal you. Now, you can do something to receive Amen. what God has already given you, but the Bible says by the stripes of Jesus. That's all about the stripes that Jesus took on his back in Herod's judgment hall. Jesus doesn't get off of the throne and go take stripes on his back if somebody needs to be healed today. We saw a blind eye open last night. Jesus didn't just die for that man's blind eye and he got healed last night. No, it was already done over 2,000 years ago, and all we did was reach out by faith and say, Thank you, Jesus. Every need we have is supplied, and we received it. And this man was able to see, read the sign over here out of a so-called blind eye. Amen? But Jesus didn't heal him last night. He was healed 2,000 years ago. He just received what Jesus had already done. He put faith in what Jesus had done. Isn't that simple? You've got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand the simplicity of the gospel. We've had a lot of teaching that has really messed up the things of God. We've had religion. You know why religion teaches that we've got to do this and this and this? Because it's advantageous to religion. They want you to come to church. So instead of having you come to church because you love God and because you love people and you recognize your need for it, Instead of telling you, you know, come together so you can exhort one another daily, lest your heart be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. He didn't say anything about God being upset with you. God's not upset with you. If you never come to church another day in your life, God will love you exactly the same. His grace will be consistent towards you. If you never darken the door of a church again in your life, God wouldn't think any the less of you. God's grace is consistent towards you. But if you don't go to church, you're stupid. Because you're hurting yourself. Your heart's going to be hardened. Even though God loves you the same, you won't know that God loves you the same because if you aren't in church, you're going to be listening to something and you're going to be listening to doubt and unbelief and things that don't teach you the truth of God's Word. You don't hear things like what I'm saying sitting out here on the street corner waiting on a bus. Man, you need to be someplace where somebody's talking about God. We come to church because it helps us. It benefits us. Man, you need church. You need the fellowship of a body of believers, but you don't need it to earn anything from God. But see, religion will preach to you, if you don't go to church, God won't bless you. You want to know why God's blessings aren't in your life? It's because you had not been going to church and God is not blessing you, you old rotten thing. You know what that's saying? That's saying God blesses you when you're worthy to be blessed. The only thing wrong with that is none of us are worthy to be blessed. I don't care if you come to church every time the doors are open, you'll find another area of your life that you aren't worthy in and Satan will get you and you'll quit believing in God's goodness and grace. You'll quit putting faith in the goodness of God and you'll start putting faith in your actions and how holy you've lived. And when you think you've lived holy, you'll believe God will move in your life. But when you haven't lived holy, then you won't believe for God's blessing. See, I fell into this trap when I first got started in the ministry because when you minister to people... Like, out of this group of people here today, and I don't, I'm not saying this because of a word of knowledge, I'm saying it because of experience. I've been ministering for, I don't know, nearly 20 years. And out of this many people, there's people here that unless you receive what God is speaking to you, and unless you continue on, there's going to be people in this room right now that you'll be divorced a year from now if you don't get your life together. There'll be people in this room that within a year or two, you'll be dead. Satan will snuff out your life if you don't get serious about the things of God. I mean, when you're ministering, This is not um, unimportant. This is very important, what we're doing today. There's some of your lives that depend on whether you open up and receive what I'm saying today. So it's serious, and I recognize it's serious. So when I got called into the ministry, man, the responsibility that I felt for having responsibility over people's lives just overwhelmed me. And I began to start thinking, God, man, I, I don't know if I'm worthy of this. And so I began to start trying to perform. I made a promise that I'd fast at least two weeks before every time that I ministered because I was going to fast, see, and earn the blessings of God, get God motivated. And that's when I wasn't ministering very much. If I was still keeping that kind of commitment going, I'd be plumb gone by now, amen? (laughs) But see, I tried it, and I'd fast two weeks before every service that I held. I mean, I would pray hours. I'd intercede. I'd get myself prepared. I'd do all of these things. But see, my mentality behind it, there wasn't anything wrong with fasting, but if you do it with the wrong attitude, it'll profit you nothing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you give your body to be burned, talking about giving, such as tithing, paying tithes, etc., if you give to the point that you actually sacrifice your own life and don't do it with God's kind of love, it profits you nothing. There's nothing wrong with giving, but if you give with the wrong attitude, it'll profit you nothing. There's nothing wrong with fasting, but if you fast with the wrong attitude, if you fast with this attitude of law, like I'm going to do this and then God's got to do that, it'll profit you nothing. So I was doing a lot of the right things, but I was doing it with the wrong attitude and it was profiting me nothing. I'd get up to minister and I'd bomb out every time. I mean, it was supernatural how I could mess up. The very first meeting I ever held, I had three services. I memorized three messages out of a book because I'd never ministered before. So I memorized three sermons and I got so shook, so nervous. I used to be so intimidated. I was so inferior. I couldn't even talk to a person and look at you in the face. I couldn't communicate. Standing up in front of a group like this, I'd have died of a heart attack before I got up. And so the first time I ever got up to minister, I memorized three sermons. I got so shook, I preached all three of them in five minutes the first (laughs) night. I just combined them all and preached them all in five minutes and I had two nights left to go and I had nothing to say. Boy, was I petrified. It was so bad I swore God I'll never minister again. God, I embarrassed you and me both. I made a mockery of the thing and I swore with an oath I'd never minister again. And yet it'd be like Jeremiah 20 would say, it was like fire shut up in my bones. I couldn't stop, I couldn't help it, and I'd ask God to forgive me and I'd get up and try it again. I did that for over a year. Total failure. But you know the reason? It was because I was looking to myself and I was saying, God, am I worthy enough? And all Satan had to do was just show me, no, you aren't worthy, you sorry thing. Look at this attitude in you. And I would, oh, God, I don't deserve it. And man, I'd minister by what I deserve, not by grace. I was putting faith in what I did instead of faith in the gift that God gave me. But you know what began to break it was I'd be in a service like this today and a friend of mine, Joe A., with, I was always going to do service. I went one day for 50 days in a row every day to one of these meetings that he held. And I'd be in his service. And he'd say, Andy, do you have anything to share? And, you know, I was in the Word. I was spending at least 16 hours a day in the Word every day for month after month after month. And, man, God was giving me revelation, knowledge of the Word, and tremendous things were happening in my life. And when he just called on me on the spur of the moment, my first thought was, oh, God, I hadn't had time to prepare. I hadn't thought about how I'm going to say it. And, and so I'd just say, God, it's got to be you. And I'd stand up, and man, the Word would just flow out of me, and gifts of the Spirit, and people would get delivered, and Joe would have to take the microphone away from me. <laughs> and I'd sit there and say, God, this doesn't make any sense. I didn't prepare, I didn't do anything, and it just flows. And when I prepare, it, it, it seems like the more I pray, praying is a definite thing that ruins my ministry. <laughs> Fasting definitely ruins my ministry. Studying ruins my ministry. This doesn't make sense. The more I study fast and pray, the worse I get. What's wrong? And God began to show me that if I was putting faith in what I'd done, and the fact was I never did enough. And Satan, see, had condemned me. But when I just called on on the spur of the moment, I'd say, oh, God, it's got to be you me, And man, God would just flow through me by grace. I put my faith totally in Jesus because I didn't have hope. I didn't have a prayer. See, I didn't have any time to do anything. And when my faith was in Jesus, everything would flow good. So did you know the way I responded to that? This is the reason I minister the way I do. I'm a, I mean, I came out of a lot of bondage. And there's nothing wrong with having notes because to some people, notes just help them. But to me, notes were my substitute for God. Amen? I was asking God to bless my notes. So for me, because of the thinking I had when I saw that, I said, God, I'll never prepare for another message in my life, and I never have. Most of the time, today, if you'd have asked me five minutes before I ministered what I was going to minister on, I had no idea what I was going to minister on. I never think about what I'm going to minister on. I never care about what I'm going to minister on. I never prepare. I haven't got a single note. My Bible doesn't even have a single mark in it. I don't have anything. Up here at all because it puts me in a position where, God, it's got to be you. I am not prepared. Unless God speaks through me, it's going to be a total failure. And for me, see, that's a positive thing. Some people, that, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with notes. There's nothing wrong if you can handle it, but I can't handle them. I get to where I start trusting in all my studying and in my ability. Now, let me also qualify that by saying, I do. the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If I was sitting, if I if I go to the room every day and sit down and watch all of the junk on TV, and if I'm carnal all of the time, and I get up here, if I've been watching the junk on television, if I've been watching the Road Runner and Wile Coyote, when I get up here and open my mouth, out comes meat, meat. Amen.
0: <laughs>
1: if I'm living carnal, carnal stuff's going to come out of me. So I prepare constantly, but I don't prepare for a message. I prepare the messenger. If you prepare the messenger then I've always got a message in me. Man, I can minister at the drop of a hat, and I'll drop my hat to get to minister because I'm I'm full of the Word. I'm meditating in the Word day and night. I just don't prepare messages. I'm just sharing with you things that God has shared with me, seeing that are reality. So what I'm saying is I'm not telling you, go out and live carnal, live like the devil, do what you want to and get up here, and God will just flow through you. No. What you're full of is going to come out. Now, if you're full of the Word of God, that'll work. All right. So I study to show myself, a pr- I study and I prepare, I just don't prepare messages. And I need to qualify that because some people take the wrong idea of what I'm saying. But see, I've learned to put faith in God. And now when the devil comes to me and tells me, you sorry old thing, you hadn't studied, you hadn't prayed, you hadn't done that. What makes you think God had used you? You know, instead of arguing with the devil, the Bible says, agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way. I used to would have said, Oh, but I'm better. Man, I've been passed two weeks. i prayed three hours today. i studied the Word. I did this. I did that. The moment you get in and start trying to justify yourself and justify why God's going to use you, Satan's going to keep probing until he finds some weak spot. Like I remember when I said I was studying 16 hours a day. I remember one time I studied 16 hours, fasted all day long, read the New Testament through one and a half time in one day's time. I was doing all of these things and... As I was getting ready to go into the service, I was saying, Praise God, I fasted, I prayed. I, st- I read the New Testament one and a half times today. Well, oh, I was thrilled. And I was sitting there re- recounting all of the good things that I had done. And you know what? The devil came to me and said, You've been up 17 hours. You wasted an hour. And I got so condemned. I went in, Oh God, how could you use me? I blew an hour today. I mean, you never win trying to justify yourself. The devil will just keep poking at you. So now when the devil condemns me, I just say, guilty. You know, I don't really deserve a thing. Praise God for Jesus. I think I'll just tell them about who Jesus is instead of who I am. Amen? Amen. (laughs) When I pray for somebody, I won't even tell them how carnal I've been today. I'll just pray for them in the name of Jesus and get it through what Jesus did instead of what I've done. Amen? And boy, there's freedom in that. The devil can't corner me. I think it's Kenneth Copeland that says, the devil can't corner me. I'm in the round house now. No corners. Man, I've taken away all of Satan's opportunity because the devil can condemn me. And you know, when I'm my weakest, then I'm strong. When I've done everything just right, I still have a tendency to think, God, I know you're going to bless me tonight because bless God, I've done this and that. And you know, every time I'll fail if that's my attitude. But But the weaker I am... I come in and I put more faith in God and more faith in the gift that he's given me all of the time. Man, my faith is more in God's grace the weaker I am. And when I'm weak, then I'm really strong. That's when the real power of God flows. Brothers and sisters, there's very few people that have understood what we're talking about today. Most of us are doing all the right things. There's nothing wrong with studying the Word, but I study the Word because it's got the truth in it, and the truth is going to change me. God doesn't keep record of my Bible study and give me stars and brownie points all when I study the Word. I'm studying the Word because it's changing me. God loves me if I never open the Bible again. I can throw the Bible down the toilet and God has still love me. If God, if my being a Christian was dependent upon me believing the Word of God, did you know I couldn't be a Christian? There's certain people that don't believe portions of the Word of God. There's certain people that believe certain things passed away with the apostles. Are they not saved because they don't believe part of the Word? There's some people that don't believe this. They don't believe that. They don't believe in healing. They don't believe in deliverance. Are they not saved because they don't believe the Word? Your being a Christian in right standing with God is not dependent upon you believing the Word of God. But I guarantee you, if you don't believe the Word of God, Satan's going to rip you off because you don't know the truth. You won't know how to release your faith. You won't know how to respond to the goodness, the grace that God's already given you. So, man, I study the Word constantly. I put the Word first place, but not because God's impressed with it and God's going to move in my life because now I've been doing this and that. I study the Word because it's the truth, and I'll know the truth, and the truth will set me free. It doesn't set God free. It sets me free. The reason I pray is because when I pray, I'm in communion with God, and that's what I was created to be. And if I don't stay in communion with God, I'm going to be in communion with something. And if what I'm in communion with is the boob tube and the world, I guarantee you I'm going to be in bad shape. So I pray because I know it blesses me, it helps me, and it's a vehicle for me expressing my love to the Lord. I'm able to bless God and minister to God through prayer. But I don't pray because God's going to look at my prayer and when I get so many hours of prayer, God's going to grant me an answer. I don't fast to impress God. I fast to change me. I don't tithe to earn the blessings of God. I tithe because I love God. And it's just like God gave me seed and said, here it is. Either eat it or plant it. So I'll eat part and plant part, amen, so I can get a harvest and eat some more and plant some more because it's wisdom. I don't do it because, you know, if you never paid tithes again, God loves you just the same. God's grace is consistent towards you regardless of what you do. Whether you come to church, whether you study the Word, whether you pray, whether you pay your tithes, God's grace cannot be affected by your actions. God's grace is 100% consistent, the same towards you at all times. God's grace has never changed towards you. God has never fluctuated in his attitude towards you because of your actions ever. God does not get upset with you. God does not get put out with you. God does not lose patience with you. God's grace is consistent towards you 100% of the time. God never changes in his attitude towards you. I don't care what you do. I don't care how bad you've lived this week, how much you feel like, God, how could you love me? God, how could you bless me? God's grace is just as on towards you as it ever was. When God first extended grace to you, how good were you? You hadn't been fasting and praying then, and yet his grace came right to you, right? Amen. Well, then if God's, if you didn't earn God's grace, why do you think you can... can uh Get rid of God's grace through your actions. God's grace is independent of you, not based on your performance. It has nothing to do with you. God's grace is something he wills. God loves you by grace. By grace, you've been healed. By grace, you've been set free. By grace, everything's provided for you. Grace never changes. It's constant 100% of the time. But does that mean that you go live like the devil? No, because if you live like the devil, your faith is going to be shot. If you live like the devil... You go out here, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. How are you going to be have faith to put in God's grace if you don't ever get in the Word of God? So yes, get in the Word of God, but see, our mentality has been, the reason I'm getting in the Word of God is because now God's going to love me more because I'm in the Word. Now God's going to respond to what I've done. Did you know that's an abomination to God? That is not a pleasing attitude to God. It hurts God that you feel like you're earning the things of God. If my children came to me and instead of just asking me, Dad, can I have a dollar? And if they came and said, Now, I've done this and I did this and I've I've swept out the garage and I did all of these things and now you give me a dollar. You know what my reaction would be? Hit the road. They aren't going to make me do things for them. I, I rebel at things like that. Did you know in marriage relationships, this is one reason for so many problems in marriage is because before you get married, it's always, honey, would you please take out the trash? Would you please do that? But after you get married, take out the trash, you old reprobate. You never do anything around here. And then you wonder, why aren't they wanting to take out the trash? People rebel at having command and things put on them. You don't like being commanded. Before you got married, it was always just so sweet and would you please, it was never demanding. But the moment you get married, you start demanding things and wonder why they get upset. I don't respond well to that. You don't respond well to that. And I guarantee you, God doesn't respond at all. (laughs) Amen. You are not going to make God do something. You are not going to twist God's arm. I guarantee you, God is not going to respond to your faith. Your faith is a response to God. And unless you get this attitude straight, you aren't going to receive. Because it's only by grace through faith that you receive. It's not God's grace without your faith. It's not your faith without God's grace. It's got to be the combination of the two. And unless you learn to put these together, you'll never receive anything from God. This is precisely the reason that so many people in here have learned the good things about confessing the Word, studying the Word, tithing, doing all of these things. You've been doing all the right things. And you wonder, why haven't I received Because you haven't put faith in God's grace. You've been putting faith in your effort, in what you've done. And it's mercy that God haven't, hasn't given you what you deserve. It's mercy that God's been quiet. It's mercy that you have not received a thing. Because, boy, that's an attitude that God hates. The worst sin of all is the sin of thinking that you can earn things from God. The truth is you are totally destitute. If it wasn't for God's grace, you couldn't get a thing. And even the faith, it says there in Ephesians 2.8, you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That faith wasn't your faith. God even had to give you faith. When you heard the word of God, faith came by the word. God, you were so destitute, so totally impotent, that God had to give us his faith to get born again. God had to give us his faith so that we could receive. I mean, you, really, all you have is the decision to operate in faith. But then when you decide, it's even God's faith that flows through you. You need to recognize that, man, it is by grace through faith. It is not your effort. And quit trusting in yourself. And when you do that, man, Satan, just, he can't hem you up anymore. I tell you, I have so much liberty I used to get ulcers. I used to, i never actually had ulcers, but I mean, I, I was headed that direction. I would be in so much turmoil that before I ministered, I mean, it was terrible. I had to force myself, and yet I loved ministry. It's what God called me to do, but yet it was terrible because of all of the pressure that I put upon myself, fighting the battle about am I worthy? Am I good enough? Am I this? And am I? It was torture to the point that, honestly, I just wanted to quit the ministry. This is before it even got started. I just wanted to get out because I couldn't stand the pressure. But did you know after I've realized this and i realized it's not me but it's Christ living in me, it's a gift. Either God gave me, if he called me, he asked to equip me and either I'm going to minister by his ability or, or not mine. It's not going to be a combination of the two. I've been so set free that I tell you I love to minister. I can minister all day long, every day. I have no problems with it. I don't ever have to worry about it. I never get upset. I'm never nervous. Amen. I don't have to go into a room and prepare myself right before the service because I just stay prepared. I mean, it's fun. I was in Lima, Ohio three years ago, and there was 500, the church seated 550 people. And we had about 650 in there. we have been seeing some good things happen. And people were sitting on the stage just all over. And man, there was an excitement in there. It was really growing and thank- good things were happening. And the pastor was introducing me. And it was about 10 seconds before I was supposed to minister. And, you know, the Lord just had me flash back to the times that I used to be so paranoid about ministering and then compare it with that. And it was 10 seconds before I had to minister. And did you know I had not had a conscious thought one about God. What am I going to minister? I hadn't even asked God about what I was going to minister, I hadn't thought about it, hadn't worried about it. Because I just know that God's given me a gift, and, and because I'm abiding in it and I'm mixing faith in His grace, I just know that the anointing of God flows. And I mean there is freedom in that. I tell you, I got so blessed thinking about how that I am not under pressure. I don't have pressure. Some people say, Man, aren't you wrung out, man? Don't you doesn't you don't you feel like you've just been totally Uh, wrung out when you get through ministering. No, I don't. I get blessed. I get charged. I can be tired when I start to minister and when I'm through, man, I feel invigorated. I get blessed up. I enjoy ministry. It doesn't hurt me. It doesn't hinder me. I don't get upset. I'm not nervous about it. I tell you, it's fun because I've learned that it's not me, but it's Christ living in me. I've got a gift that God gave me. I put faith in it, and I tell you, it flows. There's freedom in that, brothers and sisters, and some of you have never entered into that. Some of you, it is a struggle. You're striving, you're straining, you're doing all that you can and asking God to bless your effort. You got a total wrong concept. You just need to learn to start trusting in Jesus, trusting in what he's done, putting faith in it. Now, that's not to say that you live a sloppy life. When you get this attitude, I guarantee you, man, it'll thrill you so much that you'll say, God... I'm going to quit doing this and I'm going to quit doing that, not, not to impress you, but because these things have been stealing this knowledge from me and God, I'm going to protect this truth that you've given me with everything I've got. It'll cause you to live a holier life than you've ever lived before, but for the right reason. Y'all receive that? You getting that? Well, that's powerful. I tell you if you can understand what i've talked about it will change your life probably more than anything else you've ever heard i could show you thousands of people that through this teaching today have listened to it, it has revolutionized their life there's a woman in kansas city that was in a mental hospital totally gone consigned there for life and somebody brought her a tape entitled grace and faith And she listened to it and that woman's mind returned to her and to this day man she is now on the circuit at full gospel businessmen women's aglow preaching and that woman's got it together because she her whole thing that was tormenting her was how bad she had blown it and how could she ever receive from god it's torture torture to try and serve god by your effort because i guarantee you you need a savior you aren't your savior you can't do it there's peace and resting in what jesus has done I can show you thousands of people that this has changed their life. And God's no respecter of persons. If God will use this to change that woman who is in a mental institution, there's some of you today that that may not be your problem, but there's some of you that have experienced frustration. Man, you've been beat down. Nothing's working. If you'd mix faith in what you've heard today, it would change your life. It would set you free. Amen? Well, that's powerful. Anybody got some questions? We finished early again. Yes, ma'am. That was when I was single. Uh, I had just gotten back from Vietnam. I didn't have a job. I was a rich kid when I grew up. Uh, sure changed after I got the <laughs> ministry, but I didn't have any needs, and man, I was just turned on to the Lord, and I was spending 16 hours a day just studying the Word. And to be honest with you, my prayer, it's, I've been having a problem with this. I'm going to be teaching on this pretty soon because God's given me some revelation and I'm beginning to work this out. But most of you think my prayer life stinks. I spend, I get up at five o'clock every morning, spend from five to seven studying and praying every day, seven days a week. Uh, I do that all the time, but... during that period of time, what most people consider prayer may not be over 15 or 20 minutes. And what I, I'm, I don't know how to phrase this, so I'm not prepared to teach on it and totally explain it, but I'm, I meditate and commune with the Lord every waking moment of every day. And I honestly believe that that's prayer. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 5, verse 1, you know, consider the words of my meditation. Give ear unto my prayer, O God. Consider my meditation. So when you're meditating on the things of the Lord and telling him that you love him and just doing things like that, that's prayer. And I spend huge amounts of time doing that, but as far as sitting down, closing my eyes and praying, I may spend, I may spend 15 to 20 minutes a day, which most people think that's terrible, but I honestly believe that Many times we put more emphasis on the form than we do the actual results. Uh, Dwight L. Moody, who is mightily used of God, spent 15 minutes a day praying. That's all he spent, and the rest of the time was doing. But I personally believe he never has said this, and I've never been able to uh, find it out, but I believe that he was in constant communion with the Lord all the time, which prayer, I believe, is just communion with God. And I believe that when you really begin to walk with the Lord and stuff that you don't have to spend much time asking. I don't ask for anything probably more than once a week or once every month. I mean, I just don't ask for anything. Uh, I spend very little time asking for anything or asking for other people. I spend time just praising God and praising the Lord when I think of somebody that needs prayer I'll just begin to praise God that the grace of God is I'll just begin to put faith in what I know God's already done for him and I believe that that's effectual and uh, so anyway I don't know if that answers your question or not but I know that there's some people like for instance Larry Lee many of you are aware of Larry Lee and he's got a teaching out on how to pray for one hour Every day. And I've studied that. Our kids use it. Our family uses it. And we do that on occasion and stuff. But to me, uh, I believe that's a good place to start for somebody that has never prayed and never spent much time in prayer. It's a good place to start. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's structured. And if you start praying the first step and start praising God, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you start praising God, and all of a sudden, God starts speaking to you and giving you revelation and starting directing you. And if you say, God, I can't go that direction. I've still got, forgive us this day our, you know, give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation, I believe that that's wrong. That's not real communion. If I was talking to you and say, for instance, I was wanting to talk to Charles and I was wanting to explain three things to Charles. So I start on the first thing and all of a sudden the anointing of God hits it and man, we begin to start really making contact and I can see he's being blessed and I'm being blessed and then he gets off and starts asking another question. I'd just go with the flow. I'd go with where God's leading us and I'd talk about it. But you know, you can ruin a conversation by saying, Shut up! I don't, that's not where we are right now. I, my second point is this, my third. <laughs> God's a person and you just... I think it's fine to use those things to get started with God. I am not critical of that. Thousands of people are being helped through that. I subscribe to it. It's good, but I'm saying if you make it a ritual to where God, I don't care if you come down and ring my bell and speak something special to me, you've got to wait until I'm through praying. Can't you tell I'm praying? Don't bother me while I'm praying. Don't talk to me while I'm in prayer. I'm praying. You miss it. I've actually been so busy studying the Bible sometimes that when I'm studying the Bible, man, God will speak to me, and I'll say, boy, that's powerful. And I'll catch myself sitting back meditating on what God spoke to me, and then I'll say, whoops, I've got five more chapters to finish. And I'll say, yeah, I don't say this. If I did, I'd recognize it. But I, in effect, I'll be saying, God, don't bother me now with revelation. I'm studying the Word, can't you tell?
0: <laughs>
1: Y'all ever done that? So what I'm saying is, uh, my life is very unstructured. I, I do spend at least two hours every day in the presence of the Lord studying, and praying, and meditating, but a lot of the time, I spend a huge amount of time, like if I can, I'll go out every day and I'll sit and just uh, look, I'll sit on our back porch, I'll get in the car and drive out and look at the mountain, and I'll sit there and for hours I'll just sit and think. And uh, some people don't recognize the importance of that, but that's where I get the vast majority of everything God shows me is through meditation. It's like you know, I've heard other people compare it to chewing the cud. You know, it's you eat, you take the word in, but then very seldom do we ever think about it so that God can really give us revelation of it. The, one of the most important things is not how much of the word you know, but how much you know about what you know. How much revelation you've got on it. Very seldom do we, are we still... To know that he is gone I got busy about three weeks ago I was in between meetings and I was having to get life for today stuff done and do all of these radio programs and I mean I was staying up and working 15 20 hours a day which is wrong and I know it's wrong and but anyway I was real busy so one night I went out and I asked Jamie and the boys if they wanted to go out and ride at sunset Sunset's my favorite time of the day And uh, they were busy and doing something. So anyway, I said, I'm just going to go out by myself. And I drove out and parked on a road and just sat there and looked at Pike's Peak. Spent only about 30 minutes. And did you know I got more revelation knowledge in 30 minutes sitting there than I had in weeks and weeks and weeks just being still and letting God speak to me. So anyway, that's really important. And... and, uh, It depends on what you ask by prayer. If prayer is a is a set formula where I'm on my knees with my eyes closed talking to God, I don't spend too much time doing it. But if it's communing with God, I do it constantly.
0: We hope that your heart has been quickened by
1: hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at seven one nine.
0: We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and
1: you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.